You're listening to the 12 Stone Podcast. Visit 12stone.com to learn more about our eight locations and service times. Today, we hear from Senior Pastor Kevin Myers as he delivers God Can Greater Than We Can. This is the third week of a four-part series for the new year titled, I'm Done, My Anti-Resolution. So welcome to 12 Stone. And today, right off the top, I want to set up the uniqueness of our experience. We have been testing out some technology, and we're uh, engaging it fully today. So right now, I am live streaming to all the campuses simultaneously. That means all the way to Bethlehem and the school. Love you, Bethlehem. Glad. Yeah, we're getting excited about that. Uh, Love what we got to do together last weekend. Means I'm live stream to online campus. So some of you on this MOK weekend, you're out traveling, but you're you're with us. You're worshiping with your church family. Uh, We we have caregivers, and this is your only way online to connect. So glad we get to worship together. Literally thousands of people are online. We have friends like the Coop uh, family down in Florida or the Marks family in Oklahoma. And so it's just a cool thing that we get to do together. And this is all live, simultaneous, simulcast, which is pretty cool. It means that we can do uh, unique things that are kind of fun. I'll give you you an example. We could all do something loud and proud right here in the room, and and it would be heard simultaneously across all the campuses and online. Like like we could try it this way. Today is one of 12 Stone Elders' 50th birthdays. Yeah, I'm not going to mention Corey Baker's name, but today, (laughs) Corey Baker turns 50, which means he's not only an elder of the church, he's now elderly. And it just seems like, let's say, it seems like we ought to say just happy birthday, Corey. So here's what we're going to do. Right here, several loud and proud. So we can pick up on my mic. I want you to just yell out happy birthday, Corey, on the company. But hang on. Let's do it at all the campuses except Brazelton because he's at Brazelton. We'll just let it be quiet at Brazelton and let him soak in the joy of this embarrassing moment. But we're encouraging him. You ready? Everybody across all the campuses except Brazelton on the count of three, you're going to yell happy birthday, Corey. Ready? One, two, three. Happy birthday, Corey! Uh, We'll have fun with this stuff. Even into Super Bowl Sunday, there's some things we'll get to do with simulcast. Anyhow, it's going to be fun. You you don't want to miss. This is cool. This is fun. But there's there's other things that go with this. There's going to be moments when God wants to mark us. We're going to come to the end of a teaching, and God's going to invite us into a response. And on occasion, uh, we'll, we'll share that response live simultaneous, which is exactly what we're going to do today. And so this is not just new tools for the new year. God's stirring something next and new for us. And that's what God was doing in the life of Moses. Let's jump into our teaching. We're three weeks into New Year's resolutions And I was reading this past week that gym memberships are way up. Like over the last decade, they keep climbing. It's like a $26 billion billion industry in our country. And people keep buying memberships at the the new year. And and then I read a little bit further. What percentage of people, of the 100% who buy the new memberships and jump in and know that they got to get fit and they're dedicated to it, what percentage of them bail? After two months, three months, four months, five months. What what percentage of the 100% who bought in and are all in 
but Baal. Whisper to your neighbor. What percentage of the people do you think? Just, in fact, why, why whisper it to your neighbor? You, you get a number in your head. What percentage? 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, I don't know, 6. What, what percent do you think? You can yell it out. At all the campuses, you can yell it out. On the count of three, what percent do you think bail out of the 100%? One, two, three, what percent? 80%. 80. <laughs> We're all in. No, 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 I'm out. Yeah, if you could do the direct math, that's like over $20 billion just wasted. Fascinating, isn't it? One of my favorite uh, comedian comments when it comes to fitness in the new year, I think it was Brian Regan uh, some years back, uh, one of those guys. <laughs> he said, well, I'm, I, I'm two months into my new year's resolution to, th- to, to lose 30 pounds and I have 36 pounds to go. <laughs> I mean, I get that. I, I, full, I fully understand. Because New Year's resolutions don't change your life. I mean, you know at the beginning what you want to do, but then, oh, it's just too difficult. In fact, in fact, we hardly make New Year's resolutions of the most important things that really need to change. That's why we're in an anti-resolution series. With a confession of I can't. That the deeper things that need to happen in my life that provide real transformation, I can't pull off anyway. This is going to take God. So we've been in the life of Moses, and we're going to stay in his life and kind of go the next level today. In your teaching notes, you have a space for this transformation journey we've been talking about. And this was laid out in Moses' birth, but it's also played out in Moses' life. This is how he was born, but this is also how God built him and transformed him, and it's how God transforms us, and it's a process that happens repeatedly, and and you never get out of it. You want the grace to grow through it, and and it begins with, I can. I I, I can. Moses' parents lived in a time among the Israelites when Egypt had conquered, oppressed, and enslaved them. And, and then Pharaoh says that, that all males born at that season of time should be killed. He was just tired of the, uh, 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 of the, the expansion of Israel. That's when Moses was born. And they said, I can't. We, we can protect his life. We're not going to let him be killed. We're going to hide him. And they succeeded for about three months until they hit, I can't. Okay, we can't hide him anymore. There's nothing we can do. It's beyond our control. It's a whole new level of prayer. God, we need you to, to, to do something because we can't. It's out of our hands. And that quickly led to God can. So, so they put him in a basket and, and set him in the Nile River. And, and God did something miraculous. And this is the God can piece. And so God sent Pharaoh's daughter down to the Nile River. And, and she found Moses. And she chose to adopt him as her own. This is a miraculous, amazing story. But, but then it was more than just God can. God can led into we can because God did it in such a way to have Moses' own mom and parents wet nurse Moses in this next year or two. And God has this amazing way of taking us through a transformation journey. You can jot that down if you have it in your notes. And then what happens after we can? We'll pick up on that next week. But we've talked a bit about I can to I can't. And last week moved from I can't to to God can. And it moves us into the next phase of, of Moses' life. It was uh, D.L. Moody who kind of summarized Moses' journey. He said, well, in his first 40 years, uh, Moses thought he was somebody. 
That was kind of Moses' experience because he was raised as a, a prince in Egypt. And then for the next 40 years, he went into the desert and Moses concluded he was nobody. And you got the teaching last weekend from Jason. If you missed that, the power of, of the experience in the wilderness. And then, and then the next 40 years was Moses figuring out what God can. Say it with me, everybody. What? What, what God can what God can do with a nobody. And that's where we're going to pick up today. Right here, that moment of transition from where the burning bush was occurring, when Moses moved from the desert back to a call of God on his life. And it's really this conversation between God can and we can. So take your Bibles across the campuses and let's turn over to Exodus chapter 3, Exodus chapter 3, we're on page uh, 58 in your worship center Bibles. If you, if you have a, a mobile device, it's Exodus chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 10, 11. So the burning bush moment has happened and God's calling Moses to, to, to more. And, and, and verse 10 says, so now go. So now what, everybody? Go. I, I couldn't hear you. All the campuses, let's do this again. So now what? Go. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. That's what's going on. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Fair question, who am I? I mean, I, I thought it was somebody. I've been in the desert for 40 years. I know I'm nobody. So, so who am I? And God says, don't go. I am sending you. Something interesting is, is happening here. God's going to teach him a little bit of something about this God can, and then join me and cooperate with me, we can. And, and God gave him this, this little sentence, uh, go. Moses, I want you to go. I am sending you. Now, when you see that sentence, things stand out to you, like, like God's sending and your response is to go. There's a call on Moses' life. Moses, Moses, I'm calling you to something bigger. This isn't about your comfort. It's beyond this. This isn't about your career. It's beyond this. I want you to rise up to your calling. I'm sending you go. By the way, church, that God's still doing that. It's no surprise that Jesus... When he left heaven and came to earth to deliver us from sin, in John chapter 17, just before his crucifixion, he prayed and he said, I am sending you. All followers of Christ are being sent into the world. As the Father sent Jesus, so Jesus sends us. That's why we say we've been we're here to live sent. Similar. And then when he dies on the cross pays our sin debt, rise from the, rises from the dead. Then he delivers the, the calling. He says, now go. Now what, everybody again? Go. Go into all the world. You are the messengers of God into a world who is spiritually unresolved, far from God. We're his witnesses. We've got a mission. It's bigger than us. It's bigger than our comfort. It's bigger than our career. It's the biggest thing happening on earth. So Moses gets this sense of calling. And the question is, which words do you circle? Watch this. See, Moses circled you. He thought the big word in the sentence was you, meaning him, Moses. He said, well, who am I that you would send me? I think God's response is, well, you're, you're nobody. <laughs> that wasn't my point. You circled the wrong word. The big deal is I. 
The big deal is what, everybody? Odd. It's, 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 it's not you being sent. It's I'm the one who's picked you. The, Moses, you were never going to deliver Israel. I am. I'm just involving you. By the way, you don't bring anyone to Jesus. God does. He's just sending you. You don't change anybody's life. Who am I to serve God? Nobody. But, but, but it's the I. Let me see if I can help you. Let's just say I took Jaden, my 15-year-old, over to, to Publix, and, and, and I pulled out in front of the store, and I said, hey, Jaden, I want you to go in. I am sending you to pick up some groceries. And Jaden says to me, Dad, who am I? I'm like, dude, you're my son. Go, you're on an errand for Dad. Do it. Yeah, but Dad, who am I? I, I don't have a steady job. I'm in high school. I don't have a steady income. I have no resources. I can't go in there and just say, buy my good looks. Well, I might. But, but I can't just go in there and, and to, to have this work. I said, son, son, son. When I said, I am sending you, the point wasn't you. It was I. If you look in the little envelope, it not only has the list, it has 50 bucks. It's on my resources. I wasn't expecting you to do my job. I was expecting you to do an errand with me. Are you getting this? Yes would help because I'll have to do it all again. Are you getting this? We're on errands for God. Listen, Moses was never going to deliver Israel. God was. And so Moses had to learn a couple of things. Two lessons I put in your notes. Let's get at them. Here, here we go. Here's, here, here's where, now Moses has some learnable things. The first one is God can bring dead things to life. God can bring dead things to life. In fact, online and across all the campuses, I want everybody to say that sentence with me. God can bring dead things to life. It's on the screen. I want everybody to say it with three times in a row, which means it should build in passion. It should build in volume. It might even build in pacing. Are you ready? Here we go. We look at it. So no mistakes. You know, God can bring dead things to life three times in a row. Are you ready? Here we go. God can bring dead things to life. God can bring dead things to life. God can bring dead things to life. Isn't that amazing? I mean, who else can do that? Go back, Exodus chapter 4. If you're right there and you stayed in Exodus 3, then you're just going to look over the next page, Exodus chapter 4. The first five verses, Moses answered, what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? A staff, which was just a stick. And he replied, a staff. And the Lord said, throw it on the ground, just lay it down. And Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake, and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. The staff, the rod, the stick. It could have looked something like this. It was, it was a walking stick. 
could have been three feet, six feet tall. It, 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 it was used for walking it, uh, across the desert and up a mountain or down. It, it, and, it, and it was a shepherd's staff. It, it might have had a hook on it or might not have. Uh, and it would have been used to protect the sheep uh, from beasts. It would have been used to correct the sheep. But, uh, but, but above all, it was a dead stick. Say it with me. It was a what? A dead stick. Look, it had been dead for 20, 30, 40 years. Who knows how many years Moses had this. So it's just a, so it's just a dead stick. And God says, lay it down, throw it down. And, and, and when he does, it becomes a snake. Here's what I want you to see. That it was, a, it was dead until it was laid down for God's use. Just want you to see that. It was dead until it was laid down for God's use. That, 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 that should start making some sense. That God can bring dead things. I mean, that right there would have freaked me out. Blow, I'll raise my hand. How many of you say that blow your mind? I mean, God says lay a stick down. You go, yeah, it's been dead for years. No big deal. Whoa. I mean, that's a snake now. It's alive. That'd blow my mind. Let, let's go here. How many of you would run from the snake? Moses did. How many of you would run? Because I would. I would. I, I want to do this one more time because I saw a few people I thought were mildly arrogant. So I'm going to do this again. You look around the room. How many of you would run when the stick turned to a snake? Me too. I, I'm not so proud. I, I, a couple years ago, I was at a, a cabin up in North Georgia. And I was studying. I was at this pool side uh, on my own. There's nobody else around. And, and I was studying. I was in the scripture. I was working on a series uh, we're going to do. And it's having great moments with God. And I promise you, this is exactly how it happened. A snake came underneath the lounge chair. It rattled. Yeah, it was, the best I can tell, it was a, a, a timber rattlesnake. There was nobody around. I had no pride to protect. I jumped up. I screamed like a little girl, and I ran. <laughs> it undid my whole study. I'm like, seriously? Do you, do you ever read scripture and have questions for God? I do. I'm like, why couldn't you have made that a puppy? Now, do you ever think that? Do you ever like read it and you're like, okay, you can turn dead things to life. Why, why a snake? I mean, that's like making it a cat. It's useless. What are you going to do with it? I haven't harassed cat people in a while. In fact, don't take, yeah, don't take it. Don't take it personal. Just, although... I was on Amazon, and, and I came across a book, true, this true book, 101 Things to Do with Dead Cats. And I thought, well, somebody found a use for cats. I mean, I just, no, but don't, no, I don't, don't be offended. If you're a cat lover, you'll be in heaven. So why couldn't, no, they won't be, but, but you will be. Yeah. Why couldn't God make it a puppy, right? If he, could, if he could bring a dead thing to life, why didn't you make it a puppy to make it easy to pick up? I don't know. I, 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 just, I just know that Moses was marked by that moment. Because watch this. It went from being the staff of Moses to the staff of God. That's what's supposed to happen to us. We're supposed to move from being our own person to being God's. And that's when dead things come to life. In the scripture we just read, in Exodus chapter 4, if you heard it, 
It was the staff of Moses. Now look at verse 20. So Moses took his wife and sons, put them on a donkey, and started back to Egypt. And he took the staff of God. The what church? Staff of God in his hand. See, it was the staff of God that delivered the plagues. It was the staff of God that released and delivered Israel from bondage. It was the staff of God that parted the Red Sea. It was the staff of God that turned water out of a rock to quench their thirst in the desert. It was the staff of God raised up in Exodus 17 that gave them victory in battle against the Amalekites. And Moses is like the stick. (laughs) Lay it down before God and and he'll bring dead things to life. If if, if we could just push a little bit further, here's what it means. It means God can take a dead marriage and bring it to life. That's the power of God. What you can't do, God can. God can take a dead and broken family relationship and, and give it new life. A broken friendship, a broken business relationship, broken relationships in the church and in a community. God, God can do that and, and, and bring that to life. God can take a dead career and breathe life in it. God can take dead finances and bring life in it. God can take a person dead in sin and give them new life and transform them from the inside out. God can change people. God can take things that are dead. People living dead end lives, lost, many of us lost in private sin and things that undo us or lost in addiction or, or lost in alcoholism or lost in overspending or overeating and kind of lost in this running away from the real world, lost in our own selfishness. God can take things that are dead when we're lost in cynicism or lost in materialism or lost in adultery. We're just chasing the emptiness of this world and those things that are dying, God can breathe life into them. Yes, church, that's who our God is. That's what Moses needed to know about God. God can bring dead things to life. There can be dreams that God put in your life and you can think, well, they're dead, like Moses. He's like, I'm going to deliver Israel. First 40 years, he figures it out. No, next 40 years in the desert, it's over. And God says, it's not over. I bring dreams, dead dreams to life. Martin Luther King set out on a dream. As a minister of God, it was to see God bring together what otherwise could not be. And it's not done, but it got started. And I don't know that it can get solved in our country, but I know it's already been solved in the church. God's already settled that. God brings dead things to life. He restores. He rebuilds. And God took Israel dead in their bondage and released them and gave them new life. But that didn't happen. Listen, listen. That didn't happen without the second lesson. I get the second lesson. That that wasn't all Moses learned. Moses had to learn the second lesson. Look at it in your notes. Here we go. That there's a we can part. There's a what part? We can. There's our part in this. We can cooperate, fill in the blank, in your notes, we can cooperate with God to see things freed up. We can cooperate with God to see things freed up up. It's the simplest thing in the world to say. It's the most difficult of things to do. Watch this. Because I want you to miss it. 
What's that in your hand? A staff. All right. Moses, lay it down. Do what? Lay it down. And then Moses, pick it up. Now watch this. God never laid it down. And God never picked it up. That was Moses' part. You have a part. For God to be freed up and to do the things he's desiring to do in your life, in your marriage, in your family, in your relationships, in our church, there are things you have to lay down. It's often sin. It has to be laid down. And there are things you've got to pick up, which is often serving. And if you won't lay down and pick up, God's not freed up. Yeah? That's our part. Moses had a role to play in this. God spoke to Moses. I want you to lay it down, and then I want you to pick it up. By the way, God speaks to us. You're like, well, God doesn't speak to me like he does Moses. Hang on. When you read the Bible, God's speaking to you. That's God's word. When you read the teachings of Jesus, God's giving you guidance. That is the word of God as clear to you as God speaking to Moses. Lay it down and pick it up. When you read the New Testament letters to the church, that's as clear and direct as God speaking to Moses. This is guidance for our life. God instructs us what to lay down and what to pick up. When Jesus says, forgive as the Lord has forgiven you in Matthew 6, the way God's forgiven you, you forgive others. That's instructional to our life. When Ephesians 4 says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit, he speaks about the unity of the church and the body of Christ, us together. So get rid of anger, rage, malice, slander, gossip. Be restored to one another. When Jesus says in Matthew 5, if you come to the altar of prayer, you come to offer anything to God and you recall that someone has something against you, leave your altar, like quit worshiping and go restore. Repeatedly through, through scripture, he gives us instruction in how to live. And he says, here are the things that you have to lay down. Here's the serving you have to pick up. You're not a passive spectator in the kingdom of God. That was never an offer. There are things you pick up, you join in, you serve. God's building something in all of us and you're part of it. We can. And when you have to go pick up that snake, I mean, Moses had fear. Most of us do, discomfort. Like obedience has cost to it. And you know what Moses said to him? In verse 13 of chapter four, he said, can you just get somebody else? How many understand that? Have you ever had a moment where you're like, oh dear God, can you just get somebody else? I don't want to do that. I don't want to lay that down. I don't want to pick that up. And and yet God has a call on us that's greater. And he invites us to things. And we have to become God's staff. We have to become God's what? Staff. What, What marked Moses' life is the laying down and the picking up that moved it from Moses' staff to God's staff is the thing that set him apart. He became a man obeyed God and it distinguished him listen 
You don't have to turn there. Just listen to the end of the book of Exodus. I'm gonna read a line from several verses and I just want you to listen because Moses' obedience set him apart. Chapter 40, verse 16. And Moses did everything just as the Lord commanded him. Verse 19, Moses did just as the Lord commanded him. Verse 21, Moses did just as the Lord commanded him. 23, Moses did just as the Lord commanded him. 25, Moses did just as the Lord commanded him. 29, Moses did just as the Lord commanded him. 32, Moses did just as the Lord commanded him. 33, and Moses finished the work. Verse 35, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. See, when we become God's staff, it frees God up. See, there are things that God is willing to do, but he can't because we won't lay things down and pick things up. Make sense? Does it make sense? Are we, we, we hearing? That's Moses' story. I am compelled to tell you another story. That's my story. Since June of 2018, I have been in the study of Moses. I usually get into the summer and I pick a study and with that I end up with a key prayer that carries me for the next 12 months to the following summer. It's not my only prayer, but it becomes a central prayer. And from the study of the life of Moses in June that has continued since, the prayer has been more fully. Say it with me, it's been what? More fully. Because I noticed in study that God gave Moses more of himself. Moses knew God more fully than even Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob. That's what scripture said. And I said, God, I want to know you more fully. Things I would never say publicly, but in my own private spiritual journey and spiritual leadership, I had been a rough kind of 12 months leading into that. And I'm like, God, I, I've known you all these years, and yet it, it, there seems to be a lid with you. And, and it's deeply undoing quietly. And I could never let anybody see it publicly. But oh, I, would you reveal yourself to me more fully? I, I, there's more of you to know. Would you, would you freely pour in? Don't withhold. And so that had been my prayer. And leading into July and leading into August and coming into September. And, and it's just my quiet, uh, almost daily and, and intensely weekly prayer. And I'd have moments in, in things that kind of captured my attention. Like when I did the Jeff Foxworthy uh, interview. And some of you here when we, when we shared that. And, and, and during the interview, but on the side of the interview, I was talking with Jeff. And his story of his dad physically, literally abandoning. Like they walked away from the family and disappeared for some time. And, and then how later... Uh, he, he, his dad tried to come back in his life and how he restored with his dad. And I'm like, well, how, why would you do that? I mean, your dad, like, I mean, that was rough. And he said, yeah. I said, but, and you restore? Yeah. I said, why would you do it? Because he's my dad. I said, yeah, but he's, <laughs> he's a jerk. I mean, <laughs> I said, how interesting. I mean, I, most of you know, I've, I've been estranged from my dad for about 40 years. I haven't had a meaningful conversation with my dad since I was about 18 years old. When I was 12 years old, my parents divorced, and my dad quit laying down and picking up the things that God had for him. And things uh, were very difficult during those teenage years, and dad was very dismissive and disconnected. I'm like, well, I hardly have a dad. 
And when I was in high school and making some transitions to college, I needed a little bit of help. And I had a moment where, I mean, it's, things are already bad, but I sat down and said, Dad, uh, would you help me? And he wouldn't. And I remember very distinctly, I wrote it in the Home Run Life book. I, I said, you know what? I, I realized that my dad won't help me, but he could. And my mom would help me, but she can't. And I'm on my own. And at that moment, I said in my soul, I'll never forget, my dad's dead to me. I'm done. There is no relationship. I'm not going to keep pretending. I can't live in the neediness of this. I'm just on my own. And from 17, 18 on, that's how I've lived. And my dad has, uh, I've never had a meaningful conversation with him since. Uh, he doesn't know my kids. Has no relationship with them or anybody in my world. But whatever, I'm happy for you, Jeff Foxworthy, move on. Um, and then September, and God more fully reveal yourself. And then October. And the end of October, God whispered something in my prayer time while I'm asking, reveal yourself to me more fully. And, and the Lord said, Kevin, you forgive, but you don't restore. And that was so curious to me. I wrote it down. You forgive, you don't restore. And I disagreed with him uh, because sometimes, I mean, he's busy. He can't know everything. Well, okay, he does. But, but I'm like, maybe he doesn't remember everything at the moment. So I gave him a list of people. Yes, I do. Here's why I forgive and restore, forgive and restore, forgive and restore. We're good. And then he said, well, what about this list? And he, and he made a list of some others. And my dad was on that list. And a couple of people who in, in recent uh, months or years had, had broken trust. And I'm like, you know what? You're right. I don't. And I forgive because you require it. Ain't no way I'm restoring. He said, but I do. I mean, like, son, if I, if I only forgave you but wouldn't restore you, how would that work with us? And he said, so if you want to be son, if you want more of me, you're going to have to be more like me. It crushed me. Like all these weeks and months I'm praying, dear God, would you, would you be in my life more fully? And I'm like, well, if that's what I have to do, maybe not. I ain't doing that. I ain't doing that. The top three names on that list, there's no way on God's green earth I'm going to go restore people who broke trust with me. I, mean, I don't carry bitterness. I don't have malice that I know of. And he just kept whispering. But you keep asking. And I can't uh, give you more of me. You won't be more like me. And I'm like, well, dear God, I don't know how to be like you. He said, I know. I said, God, I can't restore. He said, I know. I can't. I said, how? How? I, I don't know how God turns dead things to life. So I dealt with two of the more difficult probably most um, scarring apart from dad relationships in the month of November because if I don't go do this, uh, I, I'm the lid. God can't answer my prayer, not because he won't, but because I won't. 
And I don't have time to tell you that. And you, you don't probably don't care. It doesn't matter. But God did some miraculous things and has restored a couple of relationships that I knew in my life would never be restored. I'm like, wow, that's miraculous. Oh, I got through November, December. Dear God, are we freed up? Can we be done? I'm exhausted. We get into January and, and on Friday, the 4th, uh, before the Sunday teaching, I was writing the manuscript for the weekend teaching, all excited about what God's going to do. And everything just goes dead. I mean, I can't write, and the Spirit of God's messing with me. And I know it. I've been with him long enough to know, and he's bugging me. And He's like, what about your dad? I said, what about him? I said, I did two out of three. Are you ever happy? <laughs> like, are you, like, have you ever felt like, God, are you ever happy? Is that ever good enough for you? He said, well, I'm not quite freed up yet. I said, well, I feel freed up. He said, I want you to deal with it. I said, I want you to know, God, I have every intention of someday being intentional about that. So my heart's good. Is that good enough? No, I don't think so. I said, God, what do you want me to do? To go, go talk to your dad. I said, I'm not doing that. I can't do that. I'm not doing that. It's been 40 years. I'm not doing that. I don't even know how he'd respond. I don't even, I don't, God, not only, I just don't, I don't even want to. I have no emotional desire. Nothing in me. It's just, it's dead. It's been dead. But he wouldn't let me write. I mean, it's not your job, but you have no idea how horrible it is to know that if you don't go deal with that, he won't let you teach in the weekend. And when I do, you're all going to sit there and go, well, that ain't something. Something's wrong with him. <laughs> and I know it's supernaturally and tangibly. And so I want to like call somebody else and say, hey, would you preach this weekend for us? Because I, I, it's going to be a while before I preach. <laughs> so I just got so frustrated that I said, fine. I said, you know, I don't have any time. He says, that's funny. As soon as something you want happens, you adjust your calendar. I'm like, you know how much money that costs to just buy a round trip ticket just like that this late? Because I've seen you waste money on lesser things. My money anyway. Oh, gracious. I pick up my phone just in utter frustration and I text my sister. I said, listen, send me dad's phone number and never ask me why. Okay. She sends it to me. I was like a, a middle schooler. I typed something to my dad and I said, I'm not doing that. I should get back to my message. Oh, what? I'm not, I'm not, I, I, God, what do I send? So I type, uh, Dad, you might remember you had a third son. His name was Kevin. This is him. Uh, is there any chance on January 15th, Tuesday, I might be in town for business? that you would have time for lunch. He's 78. He's retired. Of course he does. <laughs> so I text it. I did. Man, I'm to push send felt like grabbing the back of a snake. Like, I'm like, oh. I push send. I'm hoping it doesn't work. He sends back in a minute or two. Sure. <laughs> so I bought a round trip ticket just to fly up Monday or Tuesday morning and fly back after lunch. And I text him back. I said, yep. I'll, oh, it looks like I will be in town. I know this sounds silly or strange or awkward, but I'll explain it when I see you. So I flew into town. And I met him at lunch. Awkward. I still didn't know what I was going to say. I'm 58. I speak to thousands. Of, I mean, this, words aren't my most challenging thing. They were that day. And um, we sat down. I can't summarize 40 years 
of estrangement. I just know God had told me and the estrangement and lay that down. I can't explain a two and a half hour uh, lunch with my dad in a few minutes, but God told me to pick up a restored relationship. So I sat down and told dad a little bit of this story and we shared some tears and I said, I think I have to end the estrangement if you will. And he said, son, I've been praying for this for longer than you know. He said, I've been asking God because I think you need it to be freed up and free to live and I need it to be free to die. We had a lot of candor, but we ended the estrangement, ended with an embrace. I don't know where it goes next. You know, maybe someday he'll meet my kids whom he does not know. I don't, I, don't, I don't have to know where that goes next. I just have to lay stuff down and pick stuff up. That's Moses' story. That's my story. What's yours? You know, what, what round trip do you need to take of obedience? to lay down and pick up for God to do in you and through you what God desires to do. Because God can take dead things and, and bring them to life, but you have to cooperate with God. So we're gonna have a moment across all the campuses. And this moment is just gonna be a sincere engagement with God to respond to whatever God is stirring in you. I just know I can't have more of him unless I'm more like him. And so the band's going to come out and play the song that God used in my soul over October, November, and December. And the song is, I surrender. I surrender. I want to know you more. I want to know you more. I surrender. And I know some of you among us are spiritually unresolved, and this may seem a little awkward to you. It doesn't have to be awkward. You can just participate. You can stay at an emotional distance if you want. But you know that to wake up to the living God requires you surrendering to him. And you would love to know that this is true and that others who walk with God live in a surrender to him. And you would love to know that God can take dead things and give them life. So I know you who are on the spiritual fringe of this conversation and sitting here online or sitting at one of the campuses and you're, and you're thinking, is that stuff even real? Sure it is. But those of us who would say we're followers of Christ, a lot gets stalled out. Stuff ends up being years. We quit believing that God can move dead things to life. And the things that God would love to do freely in our marriage or our family or in our finances or in our core character, in our key relationships of the world around us, are waiting for us to lay some things down and pick some things up. Maybe it's you just having to pick some stuff up to serve. Maybe you're not serving in the kingdom or serving students or children or, or, or whatever that means. I don't know, but I know this. God can speak to you. And he probably already has. And so we're going to sing the song, I Surrender. And while we sing that song across the campuses, stay with me. I'm going to give you detailed instructions. In a moment, we'll stand not yet. In a moment, we'll stand not yet. And we'll stand across all the campuses simultaneously. 
and we'll join in singing that song, but I'm going to invite you to a round trip, which means nothing more than this. Wherever you're seated at any of the campuses, you walk from your seat. If your commitment is this, God, I will lay down and pick up the thing you're asking of me, and I got to do a little uh, obedience myself. I, I got to surrender. I got to pick up. You're just going to do a physical round trip from your seat. You're going to walk from your seat at whatever campus you are, and you're going to walk to the front of that room and then walk back to your seat. It's a round trip, but it is symbolic of you personally, privately, and then publicly saying, I got some stuff. I'm going to go take steps of obedience when I walk out of this place. I got to go after things, and I don't know how they're all going to play out, but I got to do the things that God's asked me to do. I got to lay stuff down, which is usually sin. I got to pick stuff up, which is usually serving. And all you're going to do is that little round trip. And if people are in your row and they're praying or whatever, just tap them. They'll let you by. So I want everyone to stand across all the campuses right now. If you're at Bethlehem in the high school, stand. If you're at Snellville, stand. If you're over at Hamilton Mill, stand. If you're at Brazelton, stand. If you're over at Sugarloaf, stand. If you're at Buford, stand. If you're at Flowery Branch, stand. Everyone stand. If you're online, you, you may not choose to stand, but you can engage in this moment. And as we start to sing the song, I surrender. If you have an area of your life where you need to surrender obedience, maybe this is a wake up spiritually. Maybe you've been spiritually adrift and dead and you're not on the edge of your faith. Maybe God's taking you out of a desert into a new calling. I don't know what it'll be for you. But you just take a round trip. This isn't for everybody, but this is for many of us. Maybe there's some dead things you don't believe God can bring to life, but he can. He can. But this little physical round trip from your seat to the front of your room to back to your seat is symbolic of you saying, God, I surrender. And this thing you're asking of me, I'm gonna take action on. So let's join in singing the song, all of us worshiping together across all the campuses, I surrender. As the song begins, you can just, if there, whomever, and you might be sitting at a campus where there's a 100 or 200 people and, and it feels like only two or three people. It's not the number of people. One person, and that's, that's significant. God's talking to you. You want more of him. You can't have more of him unless you're more like him. So let's start to sing, shall we? Let's worship him across the campuses. And you just do your round trip, shall we?
So Father, as many of us just make a walk forward, you really don't need to spend a lot of time at the front. You don't have to. I mean, if you want to take a moment with the Lord, that's fine. But you just keep it moving across the campuses. And it seems like there might be a couple of other groups among us. Maybe some of you are where my dad is. My dad said in that luncheon, he said, son, I, I didn't know how to connect back with you. I've been praying for some years that God would restore us and felt like he could do nothing. In fact, I confirmed you probably couldn't have. God probably had to do something in me. Maybe you're standing there and you're like, I don't know how to fix stuff that's broken and I just need God to work on this other person. Maybe your prayer right now where you stand, maybe you're going to do a, a round trip right now for this last part of the song that is just, you know, God, would you work in this other person? Because I don't, I don't know what to do. Maybe some of you, your, your prayer where you stand is, dear God, would you speak to me like you spoke to Moses? You spoke to PK. You told him you forgive, but you don't restore. Talk to me, God. So let's just sing this song for this next minute or so. And maybe those are the prayers you would offer to him. So Cameron, just lead us again. Just keep us in this song. before the emotion of it is solved. I'd rather wait six months to a year. None of us know how you take dead things and bring them to life. Moses didn't know how you took a stick and made it alive. But we all got stuff. We would pray and say, God, would you make that alive? Some of us, our faith has kind of grown cold and dead. Would you raise that back to life? Some of us have lost our fire for people who are far from you. Would you, would you raise that back to life? Some of us had dead relationships and some of us are in a dying, dead marriage. Some of us just have places in our lives where we don't know how to lay it down and we don't know how to pick it up. Would you, would you help us, God? This is some of the most vulnerable, authentic, and transparent moments of our life. And we are desperate for you. We're confessing that we can't. Only you can would you help us cooperate with you? God, I pray for a move of your spirit among us. I think there are things you desire to do. If we would just cooperate, you would be freed up. God, would you help us cooperate? It's been difficult, honestly, and I'm humiliated by it, but God, it's been difficult to obey you in these past 60 days. I wish I were better at that. I wish I were more like you. And I think we long to be more like you. So God, over every heart that would say, help me, God, be more like you. 
Would we walk from this place not having just an experience, but, but a move of transformation in us? Would you remind us what you can do, and then would you help us do our part and cooperate? God, could this be the beginning of some stories where your transformation is so deep and so supernatural and so kind and so powerful? Now, I pray for men who, like me right now, are saying, I don't think I'd do that. I don't think I can get there. And they're not being husbands and dads, and they're not, they're not engaging their priorities in the right order, and they know it, and they have a sense of it before you, and they're not spiritually leading, but they're called to it. And there are some moms, and there are some wives, and they're in some cold places and distant places and they feel justified but they're not taking their place and there's some broken dating relationships and there's people sitting in fear and there's some dead dreams and God there's just stacks and stacks of stuff there's some students who are getting caught in addiction early and, and there's pornography that's running among us and we're pretending it has no big deal or temptation and, and on and on the list goes there's cynicism and there's gossip and there's slander and there's division and there's Discorders and there's rage. We need you. So in the most intense places of our lives, I pray for a move of the Spirit of God among us. And if you would receive what God would do for you, just whisper it to him, God, I would receive it. Help me, oh God. Help me, oh God. Do a work among us so that as you do a work in me and among us, you can do a greater work in this territory. There are people who have no idea how much you love them. They live in the deadness of sin, in the brokenness of life, and you want to bring something of an awakening to this territory. Kevin Queen and I were praying over the phone on Friday. We think God's stirring some stuff from Atlanta to Nashville. Oh, God, that you would be free to move among us. Raise our eyes to a calling that's bigger than our comfort and bigger than our career. But it starts with us laying down and picking up. Would you do a work in us, oh God, that's not for a moment on a weekend, but is marking to transformation. And we'll give you all the thanks for we pray these things in Jesus' name. And so sometimes I like to end with, for God is good, and you all say, all the time, nice and loud, and then I said, and all the time, and you say, God is good. So that's how we're going to have our moment to wrap this before the Lord. Are you ready? For God is good, and all the time. Have a blessed week in the Lord. We'll see you next weekend.